Section 4 of the Journal of Lewis and Clark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Journal of Lewis and Clark by Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. Chapter 2. The Missouri. Length. Color. Various Other Rivers. Indian Tribes. Prairies on Fire. Obstructions in the River. Trees. Their Size. Plants. Products of the Soil. Salt Springs. Salt Peter. Stones. Volcanoes. Good Spirit and Evil Spirit. Ores. Salines on the Arkansas. Salt Mines, etc. The Missouri is already ranked among the greatest rivers. It is an object of astonishment to the whole world. The curious mind admires its rapidity, length, salubrious water, and is astonished at its color, while the reflecting mind admires the innumerable riches scattered on its banks, and foreseeing the future, beholds already this rival of the Nile, flowing through countries as fertile and populous, and as extensive as those of Egypt. A traveler, however intelligent he may be, can give but a faint idea of the innumerable riches accumulated on its banks. This sketch will barely point out the most important. The Missouri joins the Mississippi five leagues above the town of St. Louis, about the fortieth degree of north latitude. It is necessary to observe that after uniting with the Mississippi, it flows through a space of twelve hundred miles before it empties itself into the Gulf of Mexico. As this part of its course is well known, I shall speak of the Missouri only. I ascended about six hundred leagues without perceiving a diminution either in its width or rapidity. The principal rivers which empty into the Missouri are, as you ascend, the Gasconade, the River of the Osages, the two Charaturns, the Great River, the River de Canips, Nichinen, Batoni, the Great and Little Nimaha, the River Platte, the River des Sioux, and Loki Cor. As far as twenty-five leagues above its junction with the Mississippi are to be found different settlements of American families, that is, at Bonhomme and Femme Osage, etc. Beyond this, its banks are inhabited only by savage nations. The Great and Little Osages, settled one hundred and twenty leagues on the river of that name, the Canips, the Atos, the Panis, the Loops or Pants Mahas, the Mahas, the Pocas, the Ricars, the Mandanes, and the Sioux. The last nation is not fixed on the banks of the Missouri, but habitually goes there to hunt. The banks of the Missouri are alternately woods and prairies. It is remarked that the higher you ascend this river, the more common are these prairies, and they seem to increase every year by the fires which are kindled every autumn by the savages or white hunters, either by chance or the design of facilitating their hunting. Footnote. Quote, we have no means of determining at what period the fires began to sweep over these plains, because we know not when they began to be inhabited. It is quite possible that they might have been occasionally fired by lightning previous to the introduction of that element by human agency. At all events, it is very evident that as soon as the fire began to be used in this country by its inhabitants, 
the annual burning of the prairie must have commenced. One of the peculiarities of this climate is the dryness of its summers and autumns. A drought often commences in August, which, with the exception of a few showers towards the close of that month, continues with little interruption throughout the fall season. The autumnal months are almost invariably clear, warm, and dry. The immense mass of vegetation with which this fertile soil loads itself during the summer is suddenly withered, and the whole earth covered with combustible materials. This is especially true of the prairies, where the grass grows from two to ten feet high, and being entirely exposed to the action of the sun and wind, dries with great rapidity. A single spark of fire falling anywhere upon these plains at such a time instantly kindles a blaze that spreads on every side and continues its destructive course as long as it finds fuel. Travelers who have described these fires as sweeping with a rapidity which renders it hazardous even to fly before them, and their children's books and school geographies are embellished with plates representing men, horses, and wild animals retreating at full speed and with every mark of terror before the devouring element. These are exaggerations. If instances of this kind of danger have ever occurred, they have been rare. There is not an authenticated case on record or in tradition in which a man or an animal has been burned by these fires unless he was drunk or wounded. The burning of several Indians mentioned by Lewis and Clark was probably the result of some unusual accident, which they did not think necessary to explain. The thick sward of the prairie presents a considerable mass of fuel, and offers a barrier to the progress of the flame not easily surmounted. The fire advances slowly and with power. The heat is intense. The flames often extend across a wide prairie and advance in a long line. No sight can be more sublime than to behold at night a stream of fire several miles in breadth, advancing across these plains, leaving behind it a black cloud of smoke, and throwing before it a vivid glare which lights up the whole landscape with the brilliancy of noonday. A roaring and cracking sound is heard like the rushing of a hurricane. The flame, which in general rises to the height of about twenty feet, is seen sinking and darting upward in spires, precisely as the waves dash against each other, and as the spray flies up into the air. And the whole appearance is often that of a boiling and flaming sea violently agitated. The progress of the fire is so slow, and the heat so great, that every combustible material in its course is consumed. The root of the prairie grass alone, by some peculiar adaptation of nature, is spared, for of most other vegetables, not only is the stem destroyed, but the vital principle extinguished. Woe to the farmer whose ripe cornfields extend into the prairie, and who has carelessly suffered the tall grass to grow in contact with his fences. The whole labor of the year is swept away in a few hours. But such accidents are comparatively unfrequent, as the preventive is simple and easily applied. A narrow strip of bare ground prevents the fire from extending to the space beyond it. A beaten road of the width of a single wagon track arrests its progress. The treading of the domestic animals around the enclosures of the farmer affords often a sufficient protection by destroying the fuel in their vicinity. 
and in other cases a few furrows are drawn round the field with the plough, or the wild grass is closely mowed down on the outside of the fence. End quote. Hall's Statistics of the West. End footnote. The waters of the Missouri are muddy, and contain throughout its course a sediment of very fine sand, which soon precipitates. But this circumstance, which renders them disagreeable to the sight, takes nothing from their salubrity. Experience has proved that the waters of the Missouri are more wholesome than those of the Ohio or the upper Mississippi. The rivers and streams which empty into the Missouri, below the river Platte, are clear and limpid, but above this river they are as muddy as those of the Missouri itself. This is occasioned by beds of sand or hills of a very fine white earth where they take their rise. The bed of the Missouri is obstructed with banks, sometimes of sand and sometimes gravel, which frequently change their place and consequently render navigation always uncertain. Its course is generally west by northwest. To give a precise idea of the incalculable riches scattered on the banks of the Missouri would require unbounded knowledge. The flats are covered with huge trees, the liard or poplar, the sycamore out of one piece of which are made canoes, which carry almost 18,000 hundredweight, the maple which affords the inhabitants a wholesome and agreeable sugar, the wild cherry tree, and the red and black walnut, so useful in joiner's work, the red and white elm necessary to cartwrights, the triacanthos, which, when well trimmed, forms impenetrable hedges, the water willow, the white and red mulberry tree, etc., etc. On the shores are found, in abundance, the white and black oak, proper for every kind of shipwrights and carpenter's work, the pine, so easily worked, and the stony mountains, the durable cedar. It would be impossible to detail all the species of trees, even those unknown in other countries, and the use that can be made of them, of which we are still ignorant. The plants are still more numerous. I will pass lightly over this article for the want of sufficient botanical knowledge. The Indians are well acquainted with the virtues of many of them. They make use of them to heal their wounds and to poison their arrows. They also use different kinds of Savoyanus to dye different colors. They have one which is a certain and prompt cure for the venereal disease. The lands on the borders of the Missouri are excellent, and when cultivated are capable of yielding abundantly all the productions of the temperate and even some of the warm climates. Wheat, maize, and every species of grain, Irish potatoes, and excellent sweet potatoes, Hemp seems here to be an indigenous plant. Even cotton succeeds, though not as well as in more southerly countries. Its culture, however, yields a real advantage to the inhabitants settled on the banks of the Missouri, who raise from two acres sufficient for the wants of their families. The natural prairies are a great resource, being of themselves excellent pasturages, and facilitating the labors of the man who is just settled, and who can thus enjoy, with little labor, from the first year, a considerable crop. Clay fit for making brick is very common. There is also faience clay, and every species of clay, which, in the opinion of intelligent persons, 
is the real kaolin to which the porcelain of china owes the whole of its reputation there are found on the borders of the missouri many springs of salt water of every kind which will be more than sufficient for the consumption of the country when it shall become inhabited saltpetre is found here in great abundance in numberless caves which are met with along the banks of the river the stones are generally calcareous and gates there is one found also which i believe to be peculiar to the banks of the missouri it is of blood-red color compact soft under the chisel and hardens in the air and is susceptible of a most beautiful polish the indians make use of it for their calumets and from the extent of its layers it may be easily employed in more important works they have also quarries of marble of which we only know the color they are streaked with red one quarry is well known and easily worked namely a species of plaster which we are assured is of the same nature as that of paris and of which the united states make a great use we also found volcanic stones which demonstrate the ancient existence of unknown volcanoes we are confirmed in the belief that there were volcanoes in some of their mountains by the intelligence that we received from the indians who informed us quote, that the evil spirit was mad at red people and caused the mountains to vomit fire sand gravel and large stones to terrify and destroy them but the good spirit had compassion on them and put out the fire chased the evil spirit out of the mountains and left them unhurt but when they returned to their wickedness the great spirit had permitted the evil spirit to return to the mountains again and vomit up fire but on their becoming good and making sacrifices the great spirit chased away the evil spirit from disturbing them and for forty snows forty years he had not permitted him to return the short stay we generally made among the savage nations prevented us from making those researches which would have supplied us with more extensive information respecting the various mines found on the borders of the missouri we know with certainty only those of iron lead and coal there is however no doubt that there are some of tin of copper of silver and even of gold according to the account of the indians who have found some particles or dust of these metals either on the surface of the earth or on the banks of small torrents i consider it a duty at the same time to give an idea of the salt mines and the salines which are found in the same latitude on the branches of the river arkansas at about three hundred miles from the village of the great osages in a westerly direction after having passed several branches of the river arkansas we find a flat surrounded by hills of an immense extent and about fifteen leagues in diameter the soil is black sand very fine and so hard that the horses hardly leave a trace during a warm and dry season there exhales from this flat vapors which after being condensed fall on this black sand and cover it with an incrustation of salt very white and fine and about half an inch thick and rains destroy this phenomenon at about eighteen miles from this flat there are found mines of genuine salt near the surface of the earth the indians who are well acquainted with them are obliged to use levers to break and raise it at about fifteen leagues from the flat of which we have just spoken 
and in a southerly direction, there is a second mine of genuine salt of the same nature as the other. These two mines differ only in color. The first borders on a blue, the second approaches a red. In short, much further south, and still on the branches of the Arkansas, is a saline, which may be considered as one of the most interesting phenomena in nature. On the declivity of a small hill there are five holes, about a foot and a half in diameter and two in depth, always full of salt water, without ever overflowing. If a person were to draw any of this salt water, the hole would immediately fill itself, and about ten feet lower there flows from this same hill a large stream of pure and sweet water. If this country was peopled, the working of these genuine salt mines would be very easy by means of the river Arkansas. This species of salt is found by experience to be far preferable to any other for salting provisions. Should these notes, imperfect and without order, but in every respect founded on truth, and observations made by myself, cite the curiosity of men of intelligence, capable of investigating the objects which they have barely suggested, I do not doubt but that incalculable advantages would result to the United States, and especially to the District of Louisiana. End of Section 4